Ready? Okay, gang. Let's go ahead and uh, be grabbing our Bibles and grabbing our seats and opening up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 or turning them on and punching in Acts 2 or however you get there. Boy, it's good to be together. Uh, it's getting uh, fuller and fuller around here. I think the holidays are over and we're getting back in the swing of things. It's nice to have more and more of our campus ministry back in town. All right. Good job, Ivy. And, um, or maybe that was Grayson. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Isaiah is back from Singapore, I understand. So world traveler. I don't know what he was doing over there. Uh, playing piano, I think. Singing? No. Clarinet. Okay. Playing instruments. So that's cool. Um, you know, uh, um, I thought it was nice of us to sing a song all about Eli Tinkle, the days of Elijah. Uh, he, he said, that's my favorite song. I don't, I don't know why, but uh, no, it's a good song. So anyways, it's great to be together. I hope that we have a good time here uh, getting into God's Word, and let's uh, pray, uh, pray for our time. Father, thank you so much for our time to worship you to get our minds and thoughts off of other things and onto you. Father, you are our hope, you are our love, you are fire and our passion, you are uh, so gracious and merciful to us and patient with us. Father, I pray today that by your Spirit you open up your word, open up our eyes and our minds, open up our hearts and souls to hear what we need to hear not from the preacher, but from you. Father, thank you for your spirit. We celebrate this time, uh, this Acts chapter 2, and remembering and recounting the first time that you poured out your spirit onto and into your church. And uh, we're so excited to learn about that and what that means, not only today, but as we study uh, throughout the book of Acts. Father, I pray that we'll be on the edge of our seat, listening to you, listening for your spirit and, and what we need to hear. Prompt us, convict us, help us to think deeply about our lives and about you. Uh, help us not to just assume that we know it all. Uh, and so we just, just get through this next half hour and get on to other things, but to, but to uh, quicken our ears and our minds to hear from you. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, we're going to continue our sermon today with actually a correction from last week. A correction. It was graciously pointed out to me, a very good point, that may have been, uh, I may have miscommunicated. I talked last week in Acts chapter 1 about how Judas opted out of his apostleship. Remember that? And they replaced Judas with Matthias. But I talked about how, how he had opted out because of his betrayal and because of his sin. And while that was true, a good point was made to me afterwards that Judas really didn't opt out because he sinned. He opted out because he failed to repent of his sins. Amen? And he opted out because instead of going to Jesus humbly like Peter did and asking for forgiveness and be reinstated, he quit in the middle of the process. And he killed himself, and he, th therefore he opted out that way. It's important because we don't opt out of Christ because we sin. Or else none of us would be in Christ. 
starting with uh, this one, amen? Uh, but when we quit in the middle of the process, when we quit in the middle and refuse to repent, then we do opt out at that point. Does that make sense? Um, and so, therefore, I wanted to clarify that. That's an important point. Thank you to the brother who brought that up to me. And I'm glad that we have an environment where uh, no one person has a corner on the truth. We're working on this together. Amen? And uh, we need each other to reflect off each other that way. Okay, so today we're diving into Acts chapter 2. And I want to introduce our sermon with uh, these words from John Stott, uh, how he introduces uh, this chapter in the outpouring of the Spirit. It says, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the Spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the Spirit, and no Christ-likeness of character apart from the Spirit's fruit, and no effective witness without the Spirit's power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Can I get an amen from the congregation? We, uh, we need the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, we aren't. But with the Spirit, we are. Amen? And uh, um, Jesus, just like the, the church in the book of Acts, we read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. Jesus, at his baptism, also it says the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And he then entered his public ministry and mission. Quote, full of the Holy Spirit, this was Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. That's in Luke chapter 3 and 4 that you'll read those words. So now the same Spirit is poured out by Jesus to the disciples to embolden them for their mission of world evangelism. And by the end of this sermon, you will see, hopefully, that this same Holy Spirit is promised to dwell in each of us as we respond and obey the gospel according to God's word. Amen? Amen. All right. The pouring out of the Spirit. I'm going to give us some ways to think about the pouring out of the Spirit, and then we're going to read chapter 2, verse 1 through, 1 through 13. Actually, let's read the Bible first, and uh, um, then we'll talk about it. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came. Now, Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So there was, Jesus was betrayed, crucified, resurrected, and then 40 days he appeared to the apostles many times, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive in bodily form, and then he ascended into heaven after 40 days. So 50 minus 40 equals, man, you guys are with it. You're on smart. You're, you're on smart? Okay. Speaking in tongues there. Get to that in a minute. Uh, you're so smart. Okay, 50 minus 40 is 10 days. So there's 10 days between the ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How do we do when we have to wait for things? 
These guys waited for 10 days. I think they were joined constantly together in prayer. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all together. Togetherness in the book of Acts is all throughout, and it's good for us to all be together today. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, said, well, they've just had too much wine. Whenever the Spirit moves, there will be some who are just flat-out cynical. We see that all through the book of Acts. Today, let's not be cynical. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean they weren't thinking and even critically thinking, but there's a difference of critically thinking and cynicism, all right? Okay, so let's talk about what just happened. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, this can be thought of in a number of different ways. Some of them are this. This is the final act of Jesus' saving ministry. Who poured out the Spirit? It was Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus was born. He lived. He died. He resurrected. He ascended into heaven. And he sent the Spirit to constitute them his body so that this is when the church becomes the body of Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ in us. And to work, listen to this, this is good, and to work out in them what he had won for them. To work out in them what he had won for them. Go chew on that on your own. Think about that. The Spirit's job is to work out in us what Christ has won for us. Amen? Okay. He brought the apostles, secondly, he brought the apostles the needed equipment for their ministry and mission. Jesus said in Acts 1, guys, listen, I, I've taught you a lot of things, but let, please get this straight. Don't do anything hardly until the Spirit comes on you. Now, I love you. I believe in you. But please... Okay, this, you need the Spirit in you. I think he'd say the same thing to us. Uh, the promised Spirit that he had told the disciples was coming. The, the ministry of reminding them everything he would say, continuing to teach them what they weren't ready for yet, and empowering them for their ministry of and in the Spirit. And then thirdly, this is the inauguration of the new era of the Spirit all throughout history up until this time. 
the Holy Spirit would come upon, say, say came upon Saul in the Old Testament or prophets or whatnot, but never was the Holy Spirit given to be in the people of God until now. This was a new era of the Spirit, ushering in of the new covenant. This, was, this coming was a once and an unrepeatable event, much like the birth of Jesus into the world. This is the birth of the Spirit into the church. Okay, uh, Yet... We all benefit from the Spirit's ministry in an ongoing way. The wind, excuse me, the sound of a violent wind. We don't know if it was wind itself. It says it was the sound, like a wind. Uh, what looked like fire and the speaking of multiple languages, which is what tongues means. I'll talk about that in a minute. Was a one-time event in history. It's actually... Acts chapter 2 here, and ushering in the kingdom for the Jews. And then Acts chapter 10, and ushering in the kingdom for the Gentiles. So when this says one time, it means in essence it's the beginning. It's a one-time thing, okay? But the conviction of the Spirit, the awe it produces in us of God, the 3,000 conversions, the new life, the joy, the fellowship, the worship, the freedom, the boldness, and the power are for all of us who respond to the gospel in an ongoing way. Amen? Okay, so to the disciples, they were all together. They were all together in one place. And the togetherness throughout the book of Acts is so important. We can't, it's popular in 21st century to be spiritual on your own because we like to be against organized religion. Organized religion can be like one of the swear words of 21st century spirituality. And I don't know about you, but uh, there's nothing wrong with organized religion. I mean, does it have to be disorganized to be real? That was kind of a joke, okay? <laughs> kind of, I said. Um, uh, 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 organized doesn't mean hypocritical, because there's a lot wrong with hypocritical religion which is why we have a lot of bad feelings about organized religion. But just because it's organized does not mean it's inauthentic or does not mean that it's uh, hypocritical. They were all together in one place. They heard sound like a violent wind. Okay. Uh, have you guys seen, have, has anyone seen a tornado like live and in person? Few. Okay. What did it sound like? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I've heard, you said it, I've heard that people are, of course, in awe of what they see, but they're surprised at what they hear, that it, they said it sounded like a train, like a locomotive was like rushing through the house, right? And whenever you see these videos, whether it be of hurricanes or tornadoes or whatever, what is the one expression of regardless of one's religious Posture. What is the one expression we continuously hear? Oh my God. Right? Funny how all of a sudden we're all worshipers <laughs> when we see an act of God like that. Somehow we just caught faith. But in a way, this is exactly what happened here. Oh my God. Wow, this is of God. Okay, and 
throughout uh, uh, the sound of a violin interpreted by many other scriptures, one thing that this could signify is the power of God. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Fire throughout scriptures often represents the presence or the purity of God. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, for example. And then the speaking in tongues, which is what is most expounded on here in verses 5 through 12. Now, a lot of times, 21st century, we can hear speaking in tongues, and we think of the Pentecostal movement where there's uh, utterance of gibberish in um, an ecstatic language is, is often what it's referred to, but it's not intelligible. It doesn't, it's not uh, uh, um, understood what it's supposed to mean. It's just like a, a worshipful uh, 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 utterance of, of noises, okay? Um, but I would propose that that is not a biblical doctrine for a few reasons. We're not going to go into all of them today. But number one, the word tongue here is the Greek word glossa, which only can mean, has only ever historically meant two things. One thing that it's meant is this right here. Okay? That's your tongue. So when the word tongue is in there, that's what it means, tongue. Okay? Uh, there's another thing that it means all throughout time, and that is language. It means language. Never has it meant gibberish or an utterance of noises. Okay? It's always meant uh, either your tongue or a language. Clearly here, it's languages that people understood. Now, it was miraculous, not because it was gibberish. It was miraculous because... All these guys are Galileans, and Galileans were known for having a dialect of uh, uh, Aramaic that was hard to understand, okay? And remember when, what they said about Peter? They heard him speak, and they're like, man, you, you, you sound like a Galilean, okay? Um, so it was miraculous that they didn't know the languages. They couldn't talk very well, according to the Jerusalem Jews in the first place. And yet, they were able to communicate in all these different languages to all the people, and they could all hear them speaking in their own native tongue, okay? And what this is uh, representative is the universality of the church. The universe no longer is the people of God just for the Israelites. It's for all nations. And it is a deliberate, many theologians uh, uh, observe that it's a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. Remember in Genesis chapter 11? Do you remember what happened? Humans get together and they're all speaking the same language at that time and they, what do they think? We can be great. We can make a name for ourselves by building this amazing tower up to heaven and God, what does God do? He comes and he confuses their language because he's protecting men from themselves, okay? So he confuses their language and uh, scatters them, okay? This is a dramatic reversal of that. In other words, I'm going to take all people from all over the world and help them be one in Christ, amen? That's a picture we see uh, in Revelation chapter 7. Prophecy of the 
the kingdom of God, all nations. Okay? All right. Now let's get into, um, and if there's, if you have more questions about speaking in tongues and the Pentecostal movement and that sort of thing, come to our Holy Spirit class taught by Mr. Poulos, because in that class, there's going to be more history and uh, um, uh, ex explanation of, of what that is. Okay. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14. So, so now he's like, what does this mean? Uh, let's read on. As Peter stands up and gives the first gospel message, first message of the church. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. See, I think Peter liked to insert human into humor into his messages as well. Amen? Okay. I think he was trying to be funny there. It was kind of funny. Um, or maybe he was trying to insert country music into his message. I don't know. Okay. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below. Sit at my right hand, excuse me, blood and fire in billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what he, did, what he does here is he's saying, what you just saw was a fulfilled prophecy from the book of Joel. What you just saw was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which was promised and prophesied about, and now it's happened. So basically he's saying, Th that was this, okay? Um, and he explained to the people what that was. Okay, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. You, actually, let me stop there for a second. Let me just uh, uh, say a few more things about that section. It says, here, it says here that Peter stood up. So there's craziness, there's confusion, there's accusations of drunkenness, there's all kinds of things. Someone has to stand up and lay it out. Someone has to stand up and say, this is what's going on. On. You know, as a church, what you'll see, is, uh, or, or uh, what, through the book of Acts and our study, what we'll see is the Holy Spirit is always working to embolden God's servants, to embolden them to stand up, to take a stand, to stand up for Jesus, so to speak. Amen? You know, uh, uh, this past week was Martin Luther King Day that we celebrated. And I love Martin Luther King. I respect him so much. I love, obviously, what he stood for, but I love how he communicated so clearly and powerfully. And uh, obviously, the message of nonviolence was exactly Jesus' message. But he's a, why was he a hero? Why is he a hero? Because he stood up for what was right. He wasn't afraid. 
even at physically, physical, of course, bodily harm, um, he stood up for what was right. And I love a few quotes of his. It says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. When we become silent about things that matter, and there's nothing that matters more than the gospel of Jesus. So when we become silent, it says our lives begin to end that day. Beautiful quote. Then he says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Where did Peter stand? You know what? A few days earlier, he didn't stand up for Jesus, did he? And he was convicted of that. He wept over that. And he was recommitted to Jesus. And I bet you in his heart, he said, never again am I going to back off at any price from standing up for my Lord because he stood up for me. Amen? So when he had the opportunity again, he's like, I'm going to stand. How many of us have lost, have wasted moments to stand up? I know I sure have, right? And we got to get convicted that say, you know, the next opportunity I have, I'm going to stand up for whatever it means. I'm not going to be afraid of looking like a Bible freak or Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or whatever, all these ways that Satan gets us to hold back. No way, I'm standing and I'm going to stand unashamed. For my Lord and King, because he stood up for me. Um, let's remember our boldness challenge this week from what we talked about Wednesday. Let's remember the challenge that we're going to do something bold this week, and we're going to come on Wednesday, and we're going to encourage each other with that. I've already been hearing some pretty inspiring stories. Okay, uh, so Peter stood up. What did he say? That, what you just saw, was this, Joel chapter 2, prophecy fulfilled. And this is of God. So the violent wind, the, the tongues of fire, this was of God. This is a people of God. This is a message of God. This was an of God moment. Have you ever had uh, a this was of God moment? Okay. You know, spiritual disciplines lead us to the spiritual this is of God moments. It's not only in discipline, but why? Do, someone's put a question on Facebook. Why do we have a quiet time? This would be a great way to explain why we have spiritual disciplines. Because it's not the discipline itself that, that's the point. The point of reading our Bibles is to get us in a position where then we can hear the voice of God. That's the point. Amen? So we must embrace discipline, but not for its legalistic nature, but for the this is a God moment nature. Are you with me there? Sometimes I hear this, well, I don't want to just check the box today, and I don't want to have a Bible check the box thing. That's the latest. What is the saying? It's, it's cool in our era right now. Box checkers or something like that, okay, where you just check the box. Uh, well, I tell you what, I want to be a Bible box checker. I want to check that box every day. Well, you're just doing it to check your box. Yeah, I am. I'm doing it so I can check my box so I can put myself in a position to hear the voice of God. Are you with me? Or you just don't want to be a box checker? Why don't you try checking that box every day for a little while and see what you hear or see? Amen? All right. Just a little side 
issue I got with what's wrong with box checking. Okay. Um, but I remember this is of God moments when I've connected with the Word of God and God's voice has become so real. When I've been open with my own sins and struggles and God's grace and mercy has become so real. When I've been praying individually or collectively and, it, and it all of a sudden it's like we're ushered into the very presence of God. Amen? I remember times in relationships where it's so clearly that these relationships are fit together that only God could do that. Amen? Or I remember the moment, the day of my wedding, the second best day of my life after my day of baptism. And then when those doors opened up and there was Christy, and I was actually sitting here as the one she was walking toward. And I was like, this is of God. Amen? And then the birth of my three children. And there they are. And you're just left with this sense of awe. And it's like, what just happened? Because, you know, all I know is that we had a good date. And now, like, sorry, is that inappropriate? Okay. Save that for Mary Night Out, brother. Well, if you thought babies came from the Cabbage Patch, whatever, then you learned something today. Okay? But I remember just each of my children and this precious life, this incredible design. And this is only of God. Have you had a this is of God moment recently? Have you? Um, have you received them as a gift from God? A desire for Him to be so close to you? Do you put yourself in a position to receive these moments? Or are you just distracted? Let's think about what puts ourselves in these moments. You're saying I got to get married to get... No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? Um, you know what I'm saying. Okay, so let's read on now the message uh, from verse 22 on. Men of Israel, listen to this. Okay, we're not... So this is a two-part series. Uh, we're gonna, this week and next week, we're going to get through Acts chapter 2. Okay, so just a little bit more here. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So Peter now says, this is of God, and I'm, not, I'm going to start talking about Jesus because my job is to be a witness to Jesus. And first of all, I'm going to talk about his life. His life was accredited by that he was of God because he did miracles, wonders, and signs all the time. Jesus was accredited. Jesus has never been discredited by any credible source for 2,000 years. The facts of his life, the miracles of his life, there has been no science, there has been no atheist, there has been nothing for 2,000 years, and believe me, men have tried, but for 2,000 years, there has been no discrediting historians, atheists, they all believe that Jesus walked the earth. He was from Nazareth. He was a man who taught incredible things, but more than that, who did miracles. He died. He was buried. He's resurrected. And it was witnessed not just by one person, 
We watched this really good movie last night called uh, Marshall, about Thurgood Marshall, the uh, Supreme Court Justice. And it was so good, but there, there was in a trial, and they just needed one witness. If they, if they had this one witness, it would have been enough. We have hundreds of witnesses for 40 days repeated, and it's never been discredited. If you don't believe in Jesus, either it's because you don't want to believe him, or you haven't looked into it. And if you struggle with belief, go watch The Case for Christ. And if you, if you watch that, and if you actually do some research on your own, you're going to come to the conclusion that Jesus is real. And if you don't come to that conclusion, it's because you don't want to come to that conclusion, and you're going to have to figure out why you don't want to come to that conclusion. But whatever you come up with an answer for that, you're going to go to that, to God on a holy God on judgment day, and it better be a good answer. Please think about that, okay? Man, we're not getting very far, are we? <laughs> Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. One of the themes throughout this message of Peter's is that you, O oh listener, put Jesus to death. He didn't hold back from telling a hard truth. You put him to death. You nailed him to the cross. And he that was his very concluding thought as well. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Please go think about that. Please go think about that. Death couldn't hold Jesus down. What must that say about Jesus? David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. This tomb is here to this day. In other words, David wrote this, but David wasn't talking about himself. It was a prophecy of the Messiah. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So saying, guys, isn't it what we believe? This is a fact. This is a fact. And we better deal with that fact today. All right? Um, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and the Christ. So in the, in the, in the Greek language, how this sets up is that, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ, and you crucified him. End of sermon. How about that? You crucified him. Okay? So he proved 
through the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, that we're witnesses of this fact that Jesus was not just a carpenter from Nazareth. He is Lord. He is King. He is God, and He is the anointed. Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. That's why I thought Jesus Christ. I thought it was His last name. Christ means the anointed one, okay? The anointed one in the, in the, in the Jewish, uh, uh, the way it's set up is the king, uh, the high priest, and the prophet. That's who was anointed. And the great high priest and the king of kings and the one, the prophet of prophets is the Christ. And he's saying this, Jesus, is the Christ. And oh, by the way, you're the ones who just put him on the cross. And I don't think God is going to be real happy about that. And it has a judgment day coming, right? And so it says, and we'll wrap up. Oh, man, it's so good. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They, they were cut to the heart. John 16, 8. You can go to that one, Ellen, real quick. And I always thought, oh, the people had a humble response. True, but what was the job, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit when he was going to come? John 16, when, the, when he comes, talking to the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt. Do you guys, do you see it? The Holy Spirit was working in their hearts, convicting them of their guilt. Yes, they joined that conviction versus fought it, but it's the Spirit working on people's hearts that brings us into conviction. You know, the world says shame and guilt, that's the worst thing you could ever feel about yourself. Don't ever feel shame. I've heard it says shame is the most destructive emotion you can ever feel. It can be destructive if you handle it the wrong way, but it can be the most blessed thing what do I mean by that? I mean, if you're guilty, then you should feel shame. And then what you should do is you should get cut to the heart and repent. And then you feel so much mercy and grace and freedom from shame. The answer through shame is not just don't be ashamed. The answer to shame is the blood of Jesus. Now, there is false guilt and false shame. Okay, don't feel that way. Reject that. False guilt, bad, okay? But how long does it take really for us to find true guilt in ourselves? For me, it don't take long. Don't take long, right? So I've got to separate those issues, and I've got to be able to let the shame produce, uh, uh, instead of hiding and blaming and hardening and destruction, shame can produce guilt and conviction of what I need to be convicted about, and humility, and repentance, and rejoicing. You know, this dude was on trial for all this sexual abuse of the gymnastics this week, right? 150-some uh, girls that he sexually abused as their doctor, right? Do all of us, <clears throat> and he admitted it, okay? So do all of us feel like, oh, you shouldn't feel shame, is that how we feel? What do we want him to feel? Doggone, you ought to feel shame. You ought to be ashamed of yourself because you sinned and you've damaged people. 
Now, we, we want you to have the shame lead you to being cut to the heart, repentance. And if Jesus can forgive me, he sure can forgive him. Amen. So we don't look with self-righteousness. We look with compassion. Please feel shame. Please feel guilt. And please let it turn you to Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to say one more cool illustration, and then we're going to pray for communion. Okay, and then we're going to get into the response, verse 38 and on, and it's just such awesomeness. Next week. Okay, but uh, I'm, I coach basketball, eighth grade, and uh, a couple weeks ago we had a tournament where our, thing, our first tournament in December, we shot, what was it, Carter? I know you remember. Four of 26 as a team, free throws. So guess what I said to the team? Shame. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> I said, guess what we're going to be working on, my friends? Free throws when you're tired. Amen? And so we worked on free throws, and we worked on free throws, and we worked on free throws, and we had another tournament, and guess what we did? A tiny bit better. So guess what we're doing? And so one of the chief offenders of missing free throws, I won't name who he was. Most of you don't know him. But he came up to me at practice last week. And he said, Coach, I stink at free throws. Can you help me? And I said, absolutely. I said, come over here. And I worked with him. And he was going like this. And he was shooting front like this. I said, put your feet this way. Do this. Keep your elbow in and work on your back spin. Okay? Index finger right over. Use your legs. Okay? Like that. <laughs> Got it? And you may think I don't know what I'm talking about. Not to toot my own horn, but I am a free throw shooting champion. Pass me by glory days. Okay? And so I worked with him, and he started doing that, and he started making him. So guess what happened yesterday? We're coming down, and guess what? He makes some key free throws, and we went on to win the game. I'm fired up about that. Amen? Why am I fighting? I told his dad, you're not going to believe what you're saying. How many eighth grade boys can actually get cut to the heart? It's a little bit of a stretch, but... He, got con he, he didn't hide it. He didn't blame it. He didn't move well with me. He's like, you know what? I just need some help. And I think God lifted him up. See, that's what happens. What do you need to get cut to the heart about today? Are you hiding? Are you blaming? Are you, you pushing it aside? Just keep going. You're just going to keep missing your free throws and hurting the team. Or you can go to the coach Bible, the coach Jesus the coach Holy Spirit, and say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm bad at this. Can you help me? And the power of God and the grace of God, the mercy of God will come rushing into you. And God will absolutely lift you up. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray for, the, for communion. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we are nothing nothing as humans outside of you, who you are, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. Father, I pray that we will um, come
come and we'll be disciplined spiritually and we will have uh, God, this is a only of God moments in our lives. Father, I pray that we won't be too busy, too distracted to read our Bibles, to pray, to listen. Father, I pray that as the Spirit is working to convict in all of us, Father, we won't fight it. We won't push back on it. We'll just be humble like the basketball player. We'll be humble like Peter and that we won't quit like Judas did and miss the blessing. Father, I pray that those of us who need to repent and be baptized, like the rest of this chapter says, that we will do so out of being cut to the heart, understanding that it was us who put Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray that because we receive the Spirit, that we will be emboldened, that we will take a stand, that we will not hold back. Father, we just need so much help with that. Please help us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to remember him during this time of communion the cracker wafer that represents his life, his body, his, his, uh, 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 everything that he taught and did, who he was as our king, and the, and the juice that represents the blood that was shed at our hands because of our sins. Father, help this time of communion that we will join our first century brothers and sisters, that we will join the, first, the, the Holy Spirit, and that we will be con- cut to the heart and convicted, and we will make decisions to turn and to follow Jesus. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.